This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got Michael Ferreira from Urban Analytics. That's right. Michael Ferreira, past guest, fan favorite, uh, talking about the pre-construction market, which is what Michael focuses on. Well, this is it. Urban Analytics goes really into the details for new, the new construction industry in Greater Vancouver, and we're actually also in Calgary, kind of throughout Western Canada. Edmonton as well. I think those are his three markets. Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. That's right. And we actually talk about all those markets today, which is really exciting. But before we get to our conversation with Michael, Matt, uh, I just want to say we're we're floored by the turnout uh, to our first seminar. Overwhelmed. Pre-sale versus resale. Uh, packed house. It was a packed house. Yeah, so that was great. Uh, really appreciated a lot of people coming out. Really nice to put some faces to uh, some names and listeners. And uh, yeah, the VRAP community was thriving that night. Yeah, it was... <laughs> yeah, I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, it was it was good to see so many people. We appreciate you coming, and uh, I yeah, wish we had night. more time to kind of hang around and chat with people because there's a lot of interesting conversations. But uh, we're closing up a little bit. But quicker. you know what? There's yeah. good news. There's good news at the end of that. You wish you had more time because we're doing another one. Yes, we are doing another one. We're going to have another seminar coming up at the end of the month. 
around, I think, the 26th, 27th. We're waiting on confirmation from the venue. And also, if you are interested, send us an email. Just mention that you want to be on the list for upcoming seminars and events that we're going to be hosting because we're going to have a lot coming in the new year. Um, we're this, excited about this. Yeah, and this one this one in uh, November is going to be the last one probably for 2018. So if you're interested, let us know. The topic is kind of TBD. Um, or do you say TBA? TBA, I think. It's no, TBA. No. TB, TB announced. To be TB determined. announced. To be announced. To be determined. No, we've determined it. We just haven't announced it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It is T, it's definitely TBA. It's, uh, it's, it was TBD. It <laughs> but now it's been deed. Yeah. So we're just going to be the TBA. So do sign up if you want to be on that list. And also, today's conversation with Michael Ferrer is phenomenal. Uh, we cover what's happening in the pre-sale new construction market, highlights from his recent state-of-the-market UDI address. The thing about is really that is, is, yeah, once a year, uh, Michael gives a big State of the Union address to the Urban Development Institute. So we're getting the highlights. Yeah, we're going to save is, you the trip to UDI this year. Yeah, exactly. Although you should be a member. You should be a member. If you're interested. But you know what? This is high-level information. We're also going to cover the general sentiment in the development community. And finally, which areas... Okay, so which areas in Metro Vancouver and in Canada would Michael invest in currently? We gave him a theoretical amount of money. A million dollars. A million dollars, yeah. We told him, put it anywhere. And he said, well, that takes Vancouver out of the equation. That's right. right. But he uh, then we gave him $2 million. He still had a tough still, time. Still, in- <laughs> still took Vancouver out of the equation. <laughs> he decided to just put it under his mattress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he said he wants to stay liquid. But no, we're really excited about Michael's choice. Yeah. And you will be too. It's, a, it's an interesting one. So yeah. stay tuned for that. Maybe without further ado, we cut to our talk with Michael Ferrer from Urban Analytics. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Michael Ferreira, Managing Principal at Urban Analytics. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks a lot for taking the time. It's my pleasure. So, Michael, can you start maybe by, you know, we had you on before, fan favorite, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Um, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> my first career was a DJ. <laughs> is that right? Really? It, it is, yeah. Hey, you got a DJ voice. I worked at uh, 94 CJIB in Vernon Wow. Uh, back in 1987. So uh, realized at the time that my brother was paying more in income taxes than I was making in salary on an annual basis. <laughs> so figured that was probably not the best career choice. So went back to school and uh, and got into the real estate world. So um, as you said, I'm managing principal of Urban Analytics. Uh, Urban Analytics is a is a market research uh, and advisory firm that specializes in new multifamily. Um, development data uh, in Metro Vancouver. We're also in Calgary and Edmonton, so we track those markets as well. So what we do is we go out, we have a team of analysts that goes and visits every single actively selling uh, multifamily projects, so uh, high-rise development, low-rise condo development, and townhome developments, and focus on the new projects that are being actively marketed. Um, put all that information into a database that uh, we maintain. Um, if you're an industry stakeholder and and uh, find that information is valuable to you, which we encourage that it is, uh, you can subscribe to access all that data on our uh, on our web-based platform. And then we also use that information to provide advisory services to um, to various industry stakeholders, developers, lenders, marketing companies, appraisal companies, that kind of thing. So, and and you were 
you created Urban Analytics yourself with a partner? Or? Uh, no, there was a, a woman that I had worked with in uh, at at the first uh, project marketing company that I worked with way back when. I'm dating myself, but there was a company called Melbourne Real Estate Corp that uh, that was in in business here that eventually morphed into a couple of different firms, but is now known as SNP um, uh, Destination right. Properties. So started with them, worked with them. Uh, started out in the research department, actually created the research department there, uh, wanted to try my hand at sales when I got my my license. And so uh, a colleague that moved into that position uh, took it out on her own uh, a couple of years later. And, and then I joined her a couple of years after that and then purchased the company another couple of years after that. So, so Michael, it strikes me that a lot of people speak about uh, or critique new construction because there seems to be a lack of transparency. Uh, it's hard to get good data as to what's going on, and that's the service you guys provide. Do you find that developers provide you that data willfully or happily? Um, I mean, the majority of them, I'll, I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. So the majority of um, major developers throughout the region subscribe to the product, as do a lot of the major banks, uh, secondary lenders as well. Um, and then you have marketing companies, some individual uh, realtors also subscribe to it. Um, so we have a wide range of, of uh, subscribers. On the developer side, you know, they realize that since they're subscribing to it, that um, the information is only as good as, as what they give us. So um, we eventually get all of the information we're looking for. We sometimes struggle when a project is in the initial launch phase to get all of the information we would like. And, you know, it's understandable in in the sense that, you know, these projects are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, there's, you know, a competitive element there where developers want to keep information uh, a little closer to the vest, mostly for competitive reasons, not necessarily that they're trying to withhold the information from the buying public um, because we're a B2B company. So our information, unless it's being shared by somebody uh, who subscribes to it with the general public, which, you know, it may happen, but there's nothing in there that's, that's super confidential or proprietary. So, so that's not a, a huge concern. So it's, as I said, usually in that, that initial stage of a big project launch where developers are trying to control what information their competitors get, that we are challenged a little bit in getting some of that info. But as I say, eventually, typically within a month of launch, we're able to get the majority of the information that we're looking for. So, And can you talk maybe about uh, some of the metrics that you guys look at? Um, I, I would imagine you're monitoring inventory, um, price per square foot, perhaps? Yeah. So, um, so I mean, it's a it's a very detailed uh, page, uh, much like um, an MLS listing for for a property. Um, so we'll provide because uh, we have to try to provide as much information as possible that meets the needs of all the different stakeholders that we have. A, a marketing company is going to have is going to look for different information than a developer, or a bank will look for. So, so but um, you know, general information in terms of who the developer is, where the where the sales office is, how long they've been selling. So we track absorptions, monthly absorptions. So how quickly they're selling a project, um, any incentives or realtor commissions and bonuses that are being offered, um, what the construction 
status is when it's expected to complete, um, who the GC is, some of the other consultants that that are working on the project as well. Uh, and then we get into a little bit more granular detail in terms of the finishing spec. Again, we don't go into really soup, you know, we don't name brand appliances, but we tell you if you're getting a stainless steel stove, gas stove, uh, that kind of thing, strata fees, what the amenities are. Uh, and then we break out the, uh, the unit mix for each project so that you can see, you know, how many one bedrooms they have, how many two bedrooms they have. We try to track how many sales of each type there are. And then we provide min and max sizes, uh, price ranges and price per square foot ranges. And then of course, an overall average price per square foot for the project. Wow. That's incredibly useful. Yeah. And is that, so the people that are using that, that is it mainly for future projects? Like what, how are they, like, I'm thinking even like down to the, what type of appliances are are being used? Like, how is that being used by, by your subscribers? Yeah. So they would use it at different stages. So even in a developer's office, so I worked at a developer for a while and I was sort of their product development guy. So I would, you know, do what I'm doing now, but I would do it for a single developer. And so I would work with the, um, the acquisitions, uh, folks in the company who are going out looking at sites. So I could tell them, okay, well, here's what's happening in this particular neighborhood here, who the primary buyers are. Here's what, who you should expect to, to see coming into, a townhome or condo project, whatever kind of the be. expectations. Yeah. Are. And then if they purchased a site, then it gets moved on to the development department. So uh, what kind of uh, unit mix should we put into this project? If it's a townhome project, should we be putting in tandem garages, side-by-side garages? If it's a condo project, how many one bedrooms, two bedrooms, what size should they be, that kind of thing. And then uh, once it gets closer to the marketing stage, I work with the marketing department to, um, and, and also during that product development stage with the development, that's when you're talking about appliances and finishing spec and because uh, they're trying to match up what they can sell the product for with what they can, what it's going to cost to, to build the product. So, and then with marketing, we're talking about pricing the individual units and, and, uh, and trying to strategize and, and put together a message as to how they're going to target the, the buyers who are likely to buy there. Just thinking out loud here, Michael, do you have any thoughts on, we constantly hear, and I'm sure you see in the media as well, that uh, the type of new product in Metro Vancouver is usually at a higher, a more luxurious than kind of the locals can afford. Um, do you have any thought on on that idea that, hey, you know, we need family housing, we need three beds for families, um, you know, maybe not the gas range or the melee appliances, uh, but something that kind of our locals can afford. Do you have any thoughts on that, considering yeah, the process I, you just outlined? There's, And that's what makes the whole affordability discussion so complex. Um, and, and we've heard, I'm sure you guys have talked on the show about, about land prices. Um, and, and so that's a real challenge for the market is because we're such a constrained region in terms of, of developable land supply. Um, it makes that competition for land pretty intense. And as land prices go up, um, so does the requirement for developers to have to, um, you know, design and develop a project that's going to be able to that they're going to be able to sell for a high enough price that justifies the land price so and that's uh, more of a concern in the you know in the more urban centers downtown the west side of vancouver north van burnaby like we're seeing some of those challenges there um and then uh you layer on top of that the fees that uh the 
uh, municipalities are are laying on. So I'm sure everybody's heard about the CACs that uh, that the city of Vancouver charges when a when a property gets rezoned. Um, the the city is taking a uh, bigger and bigger bite of that lift in the land that results right. as as a result of them. And that's a community amenity contribution, right? Correct. To- yeah, yeah. And it's a bit of a misnomer. It has been in the past. You know, I think they're making a bigger effort to actually funnel those those fees back into community amenities. Uh, I know initially it was just going into general revenue. So, you know, there was no accountability. Like the school tax. Yeah. There was no accounting for where that money was being spent. And if you asked the city, they would, you know, suggest you go and do a freedom of information request. And oftentimes they still wouldn't grant you the, uh, the information if you asked. So that might've changed now. I'm not sure. But um, so, so as, as a developer client of mine said, to me when he was, you know, he was talking to me about purchasing a, uh, a tower site in the West end of Vancouver. He said, you know, the, the prices have gotten so high that we've had to change our strategy such that we're paying a high price for the land. We have to design a product whereby we can extract greater value out of that product. So it justifies a, a higher price. So it's a bit of a vicious circle because you, you know, the land prices go up, so you have to design a, a, a nicer product. The city, or, the city, when the land prices go up that high, is taking a bigger and bigger chunk of, of, uh, of fees. So, you know, I, I gave this example at a recent presentation I gave. So if you're purchasing a site in uh, down the West Corridor, uh, West Georgia Corridor in downtown Vancouver, you're probably paying you know, five, $600 a square foot for the land, uh, buildable. Uh, you're then paying um, to design the kind of product or to build the kind of product you're going to design to justify that location and that land price. You're probably paying, you know, anywhere from 600 and I've heard even as close to $1,000 for something like the Butterfly Building by, by West Bank, uh, $1,000 per buildable square foot to build it. And then the city extracts a massive fee, like in in the range of four hundred dollars per square foot. So you're already at at you know fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a foot wow. before you've you've even started marketing. So that's where you know again coming to that affordability challenge. Now it's not the case throughout the region. There's certainly areas uh, in the region where it is more affordable, um, but you know the, the land costs and and the other costs that are layered onto it have driven up the requirement to. Uh, to develop more of these luxurious, I guess, higher priced product. So Michael, there seems to be at least a, at least to me, there seems to be a sentiment out there that developers are making so much money in the city of Vancouver that, you know, the city can demand basically whatever they want. And people, these developers are still going to build, they're still going to make money. At what point does it stop making sense? And are we running the risk of, of losing perhaps some of the uh, CACs and and some of these proposed plans for certain communities with developers just deciding, you know what, it's not worth developing right now. Yeah, I mean the market has has allowed both developers and the cities to continue to make money over the past few years. But um, you know, I was uh, the the title of this recent presentation I gave was called Back to the Future, which was highlighting the fact that we were seeing a sh- we we are seeing a shift in market conditions where uh there's a little less urgency among buyers to to go and buy product um so we're seeing lower absorptions inventories are starting to creep up so uh, and and we're we're seeing basically stagnant price growth which i think is a good thing for the market because it it grew far too much and far too quickly over the past few years so 
if that price growth remains stagnant or even starts to to drop, then I think we are going to be in a situation where um, construction costs aren't coming off. Um, and everybody's still working and going 100 miles an hour. We're at full capacity. I think our unemployment rate was 4.1% in, in September. Um, so those costs aren't going to drop anytime soon. But if all of your other costs are going up and demand is slowing, you're going to see some projects get shelved, developers uh, pulling projects off the um, off their plate and, and just put them on the shelf for a while. And at that point, then you'll see the, the fees start to drop a little bit and uh, or the, the revenue from from those fees drop. Um, you, know, you know, the other thing I think that um, that gets missed and and it's a I know a lot of the public, you read some of the comments on social media and and uh, and what have you. And there's this sentiment that, like you said, that developers are just making bucket loads of money. And in many cases, they have over the past few years, but they're also taking an immense amount of risk. And I'm not a developer, so it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Right. Um, and and so there has to be a reward for that's. Uh, that correlates with the amount of risk that they take. Uh, and in many cases, there were a lot of years after 2008 where it was single-digit returns on a lot of these projects, which is, you know, really makes it kind of touch and go as to whether it makes sense to go ahead with some of these projects. And the only reason developers would go ahead was to kind of keep the machine rolling. They had employees that they had that they wanted to retain, and and they would take a, 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 a smaller margin just to uh, just to keep people employed and keep the machine going. So, um, but I think one thing we have to really be careful of is is what's happening in the rental market. Um, we we also track the newer purpose built rental market in Metro Vancouver. So we have data on any project that's been built uh, in the last seven years and. You know, really, that's the majority of the product that's been built over the last 30 years because there was really nothing happening from 1975 until uh, until about seven to 10 years ago. So um, that's the one part of the market where we would encourage municipalities and the industry to try and work together somehow to try and generate as much new supply as possible because you don't have investors, you don't have speculators who are involved in the pure purpose-built rental market. So... Um, the more supply you build, the more direct impact it's going to have on rents. Uh, we've seen it happen in Seattle and some other uh, markets in the in the U.S. recently, where they've built a, a ton of new rental product, and we've seen rents actually drop. We we t- we also track the Calgary market, as I said, and a couple of years ago, it, you know, you see it immediately. It doesn't last for a considerable period of time, but if you sustain the new supply that's coming into the market, you'll see rents uh, remain at a more steady. Uh, rate as opposed to how we've seen them grow over the past few years. Um, and and so, you know, if we bring in too many restrictions, if we bring in too much rent control, you know, the recent uh, restriction to limiting uh, rent increases to just the cost of living as opposed to inflation plus, um, you know, has, has made a lot of projects unviable for developers. So we're going to see fewer new rental projects built. Um, again, you know, municipalities taking fees, and and this is you know, it's not just municipalities; it's all levels of government. Uh, the federal government should eliminate GST on the capital cost of new rental projects. Um, you know, that would generate a significant amount of new rental development right then and there, and make a lot more projects more viable. So, right. so if you you know, if we're talking about rents and the concern over rents climbing, you know, the faster we build more. And, and the more we build uh, on the rental side, the, the quicker you're going to see more affordable rents on, on that side of the market. Just a thought, because we just came out of an election here and there's been some fairly uh, 
specific promises in terms of the types of new housing that's going to be constructed. Are you optimistic uh, whether it comes to purpose-built uh, properties in the near term or or on the condo side that we're going to see the type of supply everyone's hoping for in the next five to ten years? Um, I, I'm not optimistic. Uh, and one reason is I just don't think we have the capacity to build that much product. We're already kind of running at, at full capacity right now in terms of our, our labor. Um, but beyond that, I don't, you know, uh, unless the cities, uh, municipalities and the industry um, come together, there's, there's still too much distrust from one side to the other. Um, you know, it's easy for a politician to uh, to side with the populist chatter that's out there in terms of the greedy developer sure. uh, and the the gross profits that they're making and and all the marketing offshore supposedly um, uh, you know you continue to hear that kind of rhetoric out there and it's easy for a politician to side with that populism uh, and so um, you know unless they can get past that and have a meaningful discussion between government, different levels of government and the industry, um, then, uh, you know, unless that can happen, I think it's going to be a struggle to achieve those numbers. Can, can you speak a little bit to the general mood of the development industry right now? Um, it's, um, you know, in, in times when, when things are a little slow and we're coming out of it, I usually refer to it as cautious optimism, that, that things are turning around. That's how I would describe the Calgary market these days. Um, you know, they have an election coming up next spring and they're, you know, a lot of people in the business community are hoping for a, a government change there. Um, so that's where they're going. Um, here, it would be more um, just cautious and dropping the optimism. <laughs> so you know there's there's a lot of uh, you know i give this this presentation i referenced earlier i give it every year to uh, to the urban development institute and last year um you know i talked about headwinds in the market uh, just some challenges that we were seeing in the you know down the road and this year i referenced that those headwinds had turned into storm clouds that uh, you know they've they've developed into things that that we really need to pay attention to that are forcing uh, that are going to force the industry to kind of go back to the fundamentals of solid development principles. Um, you know, ensuring that you have um, that you can tell your story as a as an established local developer that you've built you know however many products and and you have a good reputation and and that your salespeople are going to actually have to know how to sell, qualify people you know, demonstrate product effectively, provide that good customer service. And, and also, you know, mo most importantly, read what's going on in the market and position, uh, price your product appropriately for what's happening. And, and we've seen some, some great successes in the last couple of months, even, even as the market has been shifting, where developers have read what's happening in the market. And they've actually, you know, much like a resale unit, if you really want to sell your unit, you're going to price it below uh, what the last home in that neighborhood has has sold for, as opposed to trying to get the same price. So, um, you know, the Cognizant developers are looking at what's going on. And instead of trying to price it at the same level as the last project that sold in a neighborhood, they're coming in underneath that project in terms of pricing and, and trying to generate some early momentum. And, and they've had some decent success in, in that way. Just out of curiosity here, and maybe changing gears a bit, um, we're we're looking at the stats right now in the resale market, and a lot of people are kind of interested what, about where the resale market is going. Can you talk about maybe the interplay about the research that you guys are doing in the in the new construction market and how that relates to the to the resale market? 
Yeah. So the um, and I and I guess that's why there's a there seems to be sometimes a disconnect between resale and and presale for for lack of a better term. Um, so with resale, you know, for us when we look at it, it's reflecting what's happening in the market today for somebody who is looking to purchase something and move into it right now, or just even to buy as an investment and hold and, and rent for cash flow. Uh, they're not really interested in in buying presale and waiting for three or four years to uh, to purchase it. Um, on the pre-sale side, I think the reason we've seen, we've continued to see some sales success at, at various projects is, um, especially at, at high-rise projects, is the completion of these things is now three to four years away. So even if the market is is not super strong today, and even if we head into a period you know, of two years, maybe even three years of, of sluggish market conditions, uh, you know, three or four years out, they know they're going to be okay, like cycles tend to to get through themselves over that kind of period. So, um, so that's where we continue to see some strength on, on that side of it. If, if you're looking at it more from an, an investment perspective, uh, and then even if you're looking at it from an end user perspective, you know, it's, if, if our, if my lifestyle changes by the time the unit is finished, then I can either rent it out or I can sell it and move into something bigger. If I've met somebody and I've started a family, uh, or if our family has grown and we need something bigger, uh, we can figure that out as we get closer to the completion of this unit. Um, Whereas with, you know, the resale market, it's, it's what's happening in the market today and who's, who's looking for a product today. So, you know, if you're an end user purchaser who's uh, been priced out of the market for the last couple of years and you're starting to see prices drop a little bit, um, you might wait it out and see, okay, well, there's a ton of inventory and, and, uh, and sales have slowed a little bit. So the laws of economics typically suggest that prices will come down eventually. Uh, prices have been sticky here for, for a little bit. Nobody wants to take less than, than what they could have gotten at the peak of the market, but eventually they, uh, they might be able to come off and, and, uh, and, and realize some savings. So I think that's what you're seeing right now is there's a bit of a staring contest where, you know, buyers are maybe waiting to see what's, what's going on. And having said that, I'm sure you guys are aware and in the resale world that, um, you know, we are starting to see some bottom feeders coming into the market on the resale side who see some opportunities and, and they're just throwing low balls out. And if anything sticks, they, they reap the benefits of that. So. So Michael, you, you recently gave your state of the market address, uh, to the, to UDI. Can you, can you give us some of the highlights from that talk? Um, sure. I, I referenced a couple of them, uh, earlier, but, um, you know, essentially I wanted to kind of, um, give people some perspective and some context as to what's happening in the market today. Uh, and so what I did was sort of uh, described how we got to where we were. So I went back to sort of 2006, 2007, uh, because there's a lot of, you know, when you think about it, 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 for anybody who was in the market at the time, it doesn't feel like that long ago. But when you look at a calendar, it was 10 years ago uh, that, that we had the downturn in, in 2008. So I wanted to kind of set a a tone for a lot of people who were maybe not in the market at the time that have come into the market since to give them a sense of of what we went through and how the market rebounded and and how it got to where we are today and and sort of showed the the trend in in you know um lending rates inventories um sales and and other factors such as immigration and and that kind of thing so uh was able to give people a, a perspective of that um and then uh, talked about 
some of the storm clouds that I referenced earlier that that are in the market that are causing things to slow down now. So, um, you know, because again, for people who haven't been through a downturn before, all they know if they're in the the new project marketing world is uh, order taking, for lack of a better term. So, you know, you get a lineup of people. It, you know, it wasn't that long ago; it was a year ago where developers were having to allocate. Uh, a minimum number of units to the realtors who were coming in that had buyers that wanted to purchase in a project. Uh, you know, b- realtors would come in wanting, you know, 10 units for buyers that they had and developers would only give them two or three at a time because they had so much demand. So it's completely different now. Um, so now we're seeing realtor incentives of, you know, 40 to $60,000 per unit if you bring a, uh, and that's a bonus. That's on top of the commissions. The commissions now we're seeing some areas where, or some projects that are offering three and four percent flat commissions for the entire purchase price of the unit. Uh, so it's a, it's a whole different market now. So in in referencing the title, I was suggesting that uh, the market is going to have to go back to those fundamentals of of good selling, good development principles before they can move forward and have some success in the market. Um, you know the some of the challenges that that I highlighted. Um, you know, rising interest rates um, uh, combined with the new stress test rules is having a huge impact on on end user buyers in particular, not just the entry level, but even the move up buyers who are you know trying to get out of a condo and and move up to a townhome or a townhome to a single family home. Uh, I, I think it's having a much bigger impact than what people had initially thought. So, um, so you know, we're looking at probably a twenty percent drop in buying power um, as a result of the stress test. Uh, so somebody who's looking at something that was, you know, $750,000 is now maybe only able to pay six fifty, six seventy five. Um, the interest rate hikes as well. So I think for every, uh, for every two and a half percent, uh, or so for every quarter percent increase in, uh, in the lending rates, uh, results in a 2%, uh, drop in buying power. So, you know, you add that on top of the uh, the stress test, and it has a huge impact on that end user market. And that's the part of the market that we're seeing um, the biggest impact in terms of slowing sales and, and lower buyer urgency and such. So, so what then does the next uh, year, three years, five years look like? In, how how in... long do those storm clouds stick around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do live in Vancouver. So <laughs> we're used to storm clouds. Yeah. Think about it in terms of an extended November, December. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we're, um, you know, the, the, what I, you know, in addition to highlighting some of the, uh, some of the challenges that, that in the, those storm clouds that the market is encountering right now, there's also still a lot of positive, um, uh, factors that are at play in the market today, mostly economic. So, you know, BC still continues to be in the top three to five provinces in the country and is projected to stay there, uh, for the foreseeable future in terms of GDP. So, uh, economically, we're still performing very strongly. Uh, we still have incredibly strong migration numbers, both international and interprovincial. I suspect the interprovincial numbers will probably slow down a little bit as, um, you know, if the economy in Alberta starts to improve as, as it has and, or continues to improve. Um, you know, employment, I mentioned earlier, we're at 4.1%. And as a former employer of mine said, once you get into the fours in terms of your unemployment rate, you're forced to hire the unhirables. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's still a lot of, of good positive factors that are driving 
economic conditions. So, you know, I know there's some people out there who suggest that, you know, it's going to be a bigger drop in prices than it was in 2008, and it's going to last for longer than it did in 2008. I would suggest that, you know, it wouldn't be a reach to to suggest that that's going to happen. um, Because, you know, prices grew so much and so quickly in a short period of time from 2015 to 2018, we were, you know, I I highlighted in my presentation last year that it was kind of 60 to 70% increases in prices for new multifamily product in a lot of submarkets. So, so there's a lot of room for prices to drop. So even if they dropped by 30%, it's, it's going to hurt some people, especially those who bought land in the last year, year and a half. But it's um, for those who are, you know, in the market for the long term, I think they're still going to be okay. And and is there a market in the short term that weathers the storm better than others, in your opinion? Um, you know, as long as the resale market, and this is going back to your your comment about the the resale, and I should have connected earlier, but my brain is getting old, so these things don't happen as quickly as they used to. But one place where they are connected and where we are seeing an impact from um, from the the sluggish resale market to the new market is if somebody's got a home to sell. Uh, to move into another home, whether it's somebody moving up from a condo to a townhome or a townhome to single family home, or it's a downsizer trying to sell their single family home and wanting to buy a condo. If they're not confident they're going to be able to sell that home for the price that they need to facilitate the purchase of the new home, they're probably going to wait it out. And so that's where we're seeing the end user sector of the market uh, being more challenged uh, in terms of, of what the conditions are out there. So, um, you know, I, I, we're seeing right now the pre-sale market is still kind of chugging along, not at the same pace that it was a year ago. And, and investors are still active. Um, they're being much more selective um, there's, uh, um, even with the investor buyer, there's a flight to brand and a flight to quality. So if you're in a long established developer in the city of Vancouver, that's got a, or the, the region of, of Metro Vancouver, that's got a good solid reputation, people can go and see the projects that you've built over the past 15, 20 years, then you're going to do better than that developer who's newer to the city, newer to the market that doesn't have that track record and that, right. that, uh, you know, track record of projects that, that buyers can go and look at. What if, uh, maybe asked a different way, what if we gave you a million dollars to spend in an area in, in greater Vancouver uh, on new construction? Where where might you go? Uh, well, there's a lot of markets where a million dollars wouldn't get you very far. So. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. That, that, that question puts you in Langley. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a, just a deposit, though. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a million dollar deposit. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking at it for investment, I would suggest I, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of of convenience and uh, and and that leads to a transit oriented location. So uh, anywhere along a SkyTrain route, uh, rapid transit route, or um, you know, within a few minute walk of a of a SkyTrain station, I think you're uh, you know you're never going to lose there. You, you're going to go through peaks and valleys. But uh, as an end user, it, that's a tough one because it's really. Um, you know, what's important to you. So right. from an investment perspective, I'd stick to, uh, you know, more uh, either, you know, rapid transit oriented locations or kind of master plan uh, core community um, development. So uh, town center areas. Sure. Yeah. And we'd have to ask you, we talked about Calgary last time you were on the show. Uh, you've mentioned it briefly here. Calgary and Edmonton, are you, uh, it sounds like you're a little bit more optimistic about those markets. 
Yeah, more so Calgary than Edmonton. Edmonton's got uh, a bit of a, an inventory issue right now. There are a lot of product um, in, in that market, and it's just kind of stagnant. Whereas um, uh, Calgary feels a little bit better. The numbers don't necessarily reflect that yet. But I sense a little more optimism about the market in Calgary right now than, than we do in Edmonton. Now, in both markets, the rental sector of the markets are, are very strong. So there's a lot of interest from uh, a lot of institutional uh, purchasers from across the country that are looking at rental in both cities. So, you know, from that perspective, it's still very strong. You know, rents have have uh, firmed up in, in Calgary over the last little while. So if you're looking for investment, um, you, you know, it's a decent time to get into that market now for, you know, if you're buying an existing product. Uh, for new product, you have to be cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of rental that's either under construction or, or proposed to start construction. So, um, you know, if assuming the economy continues to grow, you'll be fine when that product comes to market is completed. If if it remains kind of stagnant, then you could be looking at at uh, a bit of softer conditions uh, over the next few years. So and and just to follow up on that, because we've had um, folks from Battistella development on the show talking about, um, you know, the core of Calgary, a lot of the new construction sounds like it's out outside of uh, of the core and kind of that sprawl that you see in Calgary. Is that kind of correct? Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, you know, uh, Battistella's tower was uh, the first tower to launch, the first high-rise tower to launch in uh, the core, you know, anywhere around the core of Calgary for, I think, just about three years. Right. Uh, there was a small tower that launched last year, but was not very well executed and, and ended up getting pulled off the market. Um, and and I think the market needed somebody established like a Battistella, who's got a good reputation in Calgary, or, you know, one of the Vancouver developers who's been active there to go in and, and, uh, and do the proper kind of uh, launch, launch, and uh, and so they, you know, they've been reasonably successful. I, you know, if you talk to people from Vancouver, they would think the project's a failure, but um, but I think by Calgary terms, especially given what the market has been like there over the past few years, I think they're reasonably pleased with the response so far. Fantastic, and we know you got to get somewhere, um, so maybe we'll leave it there for today, Michael. Um, how can people find out more about Urban Analytics? Uh, they can go onto our website at um, urbananalytics.ca. Um, they can give us a call at the office, 569-3535, uh, area code 604. Um, and, uh, and you can reach us through email on our, on our website, our, our standard email addresses, uh, our corporate email addresses there. So everybody in the office gets an email there when, when you send it to that one. So we'll be happy to respond and ask, answer any questions. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Michael. That was a really great conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you guys. So don't uh, don't wait so long to invite me back next time. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Take care. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Michael Ferreira from Urban Analytics. Always a really interesting conversation with Michael Ferreira, Matt, and uh, glad he, glad he uh, came over. It you was, know what? Uh, He's come over both times. He's a great guy. It's a great conversation all around. And, you know, it's fantastic that we're talking to a guy that the big developers all want to talk to. Well, for sure. And he just gave that address at uh, UDI, and, and you got the highlights here, wherever you are today, whether you're driving or on the treadmill. 
You heard it. You heard it here first. You did hear it here first. But Matt, what else do we got? We, we got, got we got Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com. We do, Matt, and so many exciting resources out there at uh, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com. Maybe we should talk a little bit about the statistics that we're putting up there now. You know what? We've got some extensive statistics. If you are a stats person and you want a breakdown of the market, head over to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com. There will be a video on there in a couple days as well. Um, where it will break down basically all the highlights, everything that you need to know to track this market successfully. But we've also got great resources. Like private client services. Matt, Adam, what is private client services? Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's the best resource out there. We've tried them all. If you're not using private client services to search Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. And we also have that mobile app. Picture this, Matt. You're on your way to a seminar to watch the Scalina brothers talk about pre-sales versus resales. Oh, it was good. And you see this beautiful building just tower. And uh, it's, uh, you know, you're heading into it and you say, I wonder if there's any condos available in that building. <laughs> Turns out it's the Bentall building. So you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't have looked in the first just place. Just office. Just but, office. But you can redirect your phone because there are some residential towers in the area. And what you will find when you redirect your phone is all the active listings available in the building in real time. That's right. It's augmented reality. I used it on the weekend uh, walking around Grandview. It's fantastic. So you want to come to our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up there. For sure. We've also got our mailing list with our deal of the month. We are always looking for the best deals out there. We're also looking for properties that cash flow positive. Um, and we know it's really hard to find in Vancouver. So we are trying to put opportunities in front of you. So if you're an investor or if you're trying to get into the investment game, sign up on our mailing list. We've got some great resources, some great properties for you. And uh, Matt, how can people get in touch? You can give me a call at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret Scalina line. (laughs) Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Beep, beep. Okay, guys, we'll have a great week and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. Take care, guys. Beep, beep. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, 
Drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.